Hi everyone, I'm Beck. I'm reading from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Well, we're in our second week of the 1 Peter series. Um, and this is a, uh, a book written by um, Simon Peter. Uh, Simon, who was later called Kephas by Jesus in Aramaic, and then um, that means rock, and then th that was translated to Greek to Peter. Um, Petros, as my father-in-law likes to call me, Petros. He, I think he's called that my whole time I've known him. Um, funnily enough, my best friend in primary school, Daniel Atsis, he was Greek. His father, Stephen Atsis, who was Greek and became a Greek Orthodox priest, actually. Um, he didn't call me Petros. He called me Poida. How are you, Poida? Anyway, uh, that's what happens when you grow up with Greek friends. <laughs> Jesus called Peter to build the church. Uh, and uh, he would do that starting in Jerusalem. But then he was called out to send, to have a mission out beyond Jerusalem, to bring the gospel to people beyond Israel. And so um, this letter was written in the middle of doing that mission. Um, and um, we find out at the end of this letter that he's right now in Rome, writing the letter in Rome, but he calls it Babylon for reasons which we'll find later on in the series. And he sends this letter as a kind of a circular letter to be passed on around these churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And these churches are made up of mainly non-Jewish Christians. Um, and they'd been experiencing persecution by their pagan neighbours, their Roman neighbours. So Peter writes to encourage them. And one of the things he does in this letter is to compare the Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire with the Israelites from the past. He calls him God's chosen people who are exiled around the world. Um, and we saw from last week's uh, reading um, when Will spoke that God chose, he, he sort of makes this comparison, Peter saying that God chose Abraham to be the father of Israel um, and, and Abraham himself was a wandering exile. And so he's showing the Gentile Christians, uh, these non-Jewish Christians, that actually they're part of the family of Abraham. 
They are wandering exiles, just like Abraham. They too are misunderstood and mistreated. They too are looking for their true home in the promised land. So when Will preached to us last week in glorious black and white and spoke about the great hope that we have because of the salvation and new birth given to us by Jesus Christ, uh, which is secure and can never be taken away, um, this was a hope that was so important for suffering and persecuted Christians because uh, it turns this hardship into a positive thing. It's a gift because it refines your faith. Uh, it burns away your distractions and false hopes. Persecution and hardship makes your faith more genuine and deep. And so, so this week when we get, get to the passage we just had Beck read, just read to us, the second part of chapter 1, or the next bit of chapter 1. Here, uh, Peter writes about their new family identity that they have as the people of Israel. Again, he uses these images from the Old Testament and shows how it applies to these Gentile Christians. And so he, he says three things in our passage. First of all, he says that they're to be ready for action like the Israelite Israelites were in the Exodus. And secondly, they're to be the holy people of God, like Israel was journeying through the wilderness. And thirdly, they are to be like the people of the new Exodus, redeemed by the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb. If you find yourself feeling like you, you don't fit in as, because you're a Christian, maybe in your workplace, you feel like you stick out a little bit, or you feel like your family treats you like black sheep because you are a Christian. If you have a strong sense that your faith makes you sometimes not feel at home with the people around you, then what we're going to learn from the Apostle Peter today uh, should speak powerfully to you. And it should motivate you and give you hope. So first of all, let's look at what it means to be ready for action like the Israelites were in the Exodus. Peter writes in verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. They are to be hope-filled people. And this hope will be a mindset that will motivate them to action. The kind of hope that Peter's talking about here is not some kind of daydreamy hope that you have. You know, um, in English, that's how we often use hope. So like we might say, we hope that our football team is going to win the grand final or we hope that the weather's nice tomorrow. Um, the hope that Peter's talking about is a lot stronger than that, a lot more concrete than that. What he's talking about is having a kind of assurance that what we hope for will really happen. This is because future hope in the New Testament is based on something that's already happened, which is Jesus' death and resurrection. So their hope is, the fact, is in the fact that when Jesus returns, they will be met with grace, the grace that has been provided to them by Jesus. And so this kind of hope that, 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 is, that, that he says you, you are to be fully sober in your mind, and focused on this hope. And, and when he says fully, he's not just saying like some people will be 50% focused and others will be 70% focused and they're not really focused enough, but then there'll be some people who are 100% focused. It's not so much that idea. It's more that this kind of hope of, of the future, of, of what, what um, 
Jesus is going to bring you and, and meet you with grace is all encompassing. It just will it will take over your whole life. So be, you know that's why it just will require a full full focus from you. Um, it's about having a new vision of the future, um, which is all about grace, and so that's going to change you from the inside out. This is a grace that is fully guaranteed and sealed by the Holy Spirit, uh, made possible because of that event of the cross and the resurrection afterwards. We're talking about an inheritance that is sto- that's stored in the bank of heaven. And he says you to be fully sober. Now, this word sober, um, well, well, he's saying you to be completely, completely ready and focused. This word sober is it's not the right kind of, it's not a, the best translation because it makes us think straight away to don't be drunk. And that is just to miss, miss the point of what he's saying here, although that probably, um, you know, is included in the meaning. The actual phrase that is written there is in the original Greek is that you're to bind up the loins of your mind. Bind up the loins of your mind, which is not a phrase that we use in English, so that's why the translators have said sober. It comes from a saying from the time that referred to the robes that um, they used to wear that was a bit like a poncho. And I've got a picture for you here um, from this hilarious website I found. So you can see um, uh, that uh, it involved... Like normally you'd walk around wearing a robe and you'd have this kind of um, this belt around you um, and you can see. And then that was fine for everyday stuff. But then when you had to do something really active, like really hard work, it might involve running, like going to war even, like as, as, you, as you can see the character there, you would tuck the robe up into a belt which would allow for more freedom of movement. So, um, so, so, so now, you, now that you've got that picture in your mind of girding your loins like that for action, um, you could think of the phrase a bit more like this, um, roll up your sleeves, maybe would be something we might say, get ready and focus to do some hard work. Um, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, um, God tells the Israelites to prepare for the Exodus by eating their last meal in Egypt with their sandals on and their loins girded. And so, and they had to do that because they had to be ready for action, ready to go. And Peter is saying the same thing to these Gentile Christians. He said, you have to be like the Israelites who had to gird their loins. You have to gird the loins of your mind in this world that you're living in now and be ready for action, rescued by God. You have to be like the Israelites who are rescued by God from Pharaoh. You have to be like that now, that same mindset. You can't just sit around doing nothing. To gird the loins of your mind, it doesn't mean you don't, you know, you, you, you don't just sit around thinking all the time um, or reading lots of books. You can read books if you want to. That's not so much what he's, he's, he's saying. He's saying you get fired up, you get excited, you get focused and you manifest that living hope that, that we talked about just before that you have as a believer. You respond to this hope now. I remember when I was in grade six, I was in um, the Yarra Valley Hockey Club, uh, the local hockey club. And we got, 
all the way to the grand final. And um, we felt fairly confident that we could win because at that time we had lots of really good players and we were winning all of our matches. And so in the week leading up to the grand final, we didn't just sit around lazily confident in what in the match to come on Saturday. No, what we did was we girded the loins of our mind with regards to the grand final. We, we got excited, we got focused, and we had a few extra training sessions at Chelsworth Park. We, we trained in hope for what would come our, our way. And when that day came, well, of course, we went and won the match, didn't we? We realised that hope. Now, of course, the difference between the hockey match and what Peter's talking about is that, well, the Arrow Valley Hockey Club in 1987 could have lost the grand final, but we didn't. Whereas the Christian hope that we have um, is that Jesus has already won and defeated sin and death for us. The victory has happened already on the cross. So our resolve should be even greater. So gird the loins of your mind. To be, to be self-controlled and, and focused in your mind, to be sober in your mind, to gird the loins of your mind, means partly to be prayerful. Peter goes on to say this in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and, so, and of sober mind so that you may pray. Also, he says um, in chapter 5 that to be alert and sober, he says, um, to be alert and sober because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So rolling up your sleeves for Jesus having a, a constant, is, is having a constant awareness of the spiritual realm, being prayerful, looking around you, not just being complacent and distracted. So I ask you, how are you rolling up your sleeves for Jesus? Do you wake up in the morning ready for action? If you're like me, you probably wake up in the morning and you're thinking, you think about the day, like you look at your diary or you're consumed by the immediate tasks around you, which is totally understandable. These things are all important. And as mature disciples, we need to learn to do these things. Um, while still keeping our eye on the bigger goal, the bigger picture, which is our hope in the grace of Jesus Christ. But perhaps also like me, every day you are distracted by things that are trivial, checking Facebook or um, looking forward to watching more Netflix or something just trivial. Um, these things aren't bad in themselves necessarily, but I think there are so many things that can distract us and to take us away um, perhaps it's thinking about the latest thing you want to buy, you know, and you're looking at ca catalogs online or whatever it is you're interested in. You know, these things pull us away from girding the loins of our mind with respect to Jesus. To be ready for action, you know, think about those healthcare workers we know. Um, the doctors and the nurses who, in recent times, saw the pandemic coming and got ready. They snapped into action. 
They girded the loins of their mind. They set in place new systems in the hospitals. They changed how they would meet with patients. They ordered face masks, gloves, and sanitizer. They learned how to do the testing for infection. Think about the politicians meeting daily, doing press reports twice a day. Um, this is what rolling up your sleeves looks like. And we want to see the church in Australia being like this, being justice-focused. For me, church planning is the way that I can be. I can gird the loins of my mind and be focused um, and respond to the hope that I have. Because in church planning, you mobilise the, the Christians, you mobilise the church to do something, to snap into action. And so that's why at Mary Creek, you know, we're all about church planning and that's why we will do it again soon. As soon as we can, as soon as these restrictions are, uh, are over, we, we will snap into action. Um, and we, we can even snap into action now with the restrictions, you know, thinking and praying about this. We have to be like the Israelites who girded their loins and snapped into action in the Exodus. Well, the second thing that um, Peter says to the to the uh, uh, the Gentile Christians in Asia Minor, he says that they are to be the holy of people. They are to be the holy people of God, like Israel Israel was wandering through the wilderness. Look at verse fourteen: As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. This phrase, be holy because I am holy, comes word for word from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2. And it can be found elsewhere in Leviticus, repeated several times. And it's a favorite catchphrase for, G- for the Jews and also um, for, the, for the Christians later on. Um, and as the Israelites wandered through the wilderness, they were to live as holy people and they they would say this phrase and this is why God gave them the law and the sacrificial system so they were able able to do that. For these Gentile Christians that Peter is writing to in Asia Minor, the comparison shows them that in the face of suffering and hardship, nevertheless they are to practically live out their faith in holiness. They are not to return to their pagan lifestyle. They are not to conform to the worldly culture around them. These Christians were previously Gentile pagans and they shouldn't go back to that. To be holy is to live like Jesus. To be holy means to conform your thinking and behaviour to God's character. To be holy is to be set apart from the world, just as Israel was to be holy and set apart from the nations around them. To be holy is to change from the way you lived previously. Previously, they were unrestrained from sin, including in ways that were socially acceptable, in fact. But God calls the Christian to, to Christ, and this includes abstaining from certain social customs and practices which will make you a stranger within your society. And if you look at verses 14 to 19, you see these comparisons made of the old life and the new life. Formerly, you were ignorant of God. Now you have knowledge of Christ and God. Formerly you were not God's children or people. Now you are God's children and people. Formerly you were controlled by your desires. Now you are controlled by obedience to God. Formerly you had a futile way of life. Now you have a holy way of life. Formerly you were affirmed by society. Now you are misunderstood and maligned by society. So Peter cares not just about just the religious part of your life, but your whole life. 
And this is because for the Christian, there is no separation between the religious part and, and the rest. It's, it's all one part. Of, it's all one aspect of who you are. Um, you are thoroughly 100% Christian. There's no separation because you've been born again. You're a new creation. And this is what be holy because I am holy means for the Christian. So what it looks like in practice. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, as you apply this to yourself, this is a bit much. I mean, how? come on. Be holy because I'm holy. Be, like, be holy because God is holy. I mean, how are we expected to do that? Because after all, we're all sinners. We're all trying our best. How can we be possibly be holy though? I mean, we're not saints. If anything, we need God's forgiveness. Surely that's what, what the case is. To ma- I'll just let you, let you know this. To make, make matters worse, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says a similar phrase, but he didn't say, be holy because I'm holy. He says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, how are we to live up to these expectations? We lead difficult lives. We have families to look after. We have work to do. Some of us are losing our jobs at the moment. How do we, how do we expect to be holy? We have people in our household who are struggling for various reasons. Life is difficult. So how can Peter quote Leviticus and say to be holy like God is holy? when the, the, These are high standards that nobody can live up to. Well, the warning and the instruction for us and for the Christians in Asia Minor is to make sure actually that when our lives get difficult, when our obligations pile up, when we become more and more stressed out, that we don't walk away from God. Imagine if you were a Christian in the first century hearing this for the first time from the apostle and you were a slave you might think to yourself, how am I supposed to be holy? I'm a slave. You know, I mean, I've got no control over my life. I've just got to work, 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 work. And, and so you might think that it'd be fair enough for the slave to say, come on, give me a free pass. But in the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 18, Peter will say to slaves, because of your reverent fear of God, you should be obedient in the household. You should be considerate. To your master, you should you should be obedient in the household towards considerate masters or to harsh masters even. So no matter what your situation, obedience to God and living a holy life is still the most important thing for the Christian to keep focused on. Now, when we talk about holiness, the problem is we can straight away think about being a good person, doing the right thing, and I, I guess. A big aspect of it is following God's law and and being obedient to God and and having a, a thoroughly Christian ethical framework for your life and living that out in response to God's love for you. But there's more to it than than this. Um, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Rowan Williams, who's a great writer, writes in his book called Being Disciples that this is an important part of the holy life that we shouldn't overlook. And that is that Christian holiness should be cross-shaped. What do we mean by that? If you if you look at the story of the Last Supper in John, Jesus says to his disciples as they're having the Last Supper that he's about to go and sanctify himself. 
which means he's about to go and make himself holy. And he wants his disciples to do the same thing with their lives. And he's going to achieve this um, holiness by stepping forward towards his death, his death on the cross. See, the crucifixion is the most holy event that's ever happened in the history of the universe. And this crucifixion occurs outside of what we would normally think of as a religious context, um, as a holy place, away from what we would normally consider to be holy people. The crucifixion is an execution, was an execution done with criminals by Roman soldiers on a rubbish dump outside the walls of Jerusalem. Rowan Williams puts it this way, he says, Holiness in the New Testament is a matter of Jesus going right into the middle of the mess and the suffering of human nature. For him, being holy is being absolutely involved, not being absolutely separated. When Jesus makes himself holy, he goes to a place of humiliation, to where people throw rubbish and other people onto, onto the heap. For the Israelites, if you go back to the Old Testament, they, they had to go outside the camp if they were unclean and not fit to be in the presence of God. But Jesus, he went outside the camp of Jerusalem and made himself holy paradoxically by taking on our uncleanness. So Rowan Williams says, for Christians, holiness is about obedience to God and this includes going where it's most difficult, just as Jesus went to where it was most difficult. The people you will meet in your life who you will walk away and think they, they, they are holy people uh, will, will radiate a Christ-like quality. And it won't just be because they're a good, obedient person, although they are, but also because they are willing to go to the hard places and meet with people who are struggling and rejected and bring them healing and hope. This holy life has to be one of the, one of the things that motivates us is, is, is a reverent fear for God. And this is in the passage, in 1 Peter, verse 17. Since you call on, on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. We have to remember, never, never forget um, the, that God is our judge. Just because you know him as your father doesn't mean you can stop having a kind of a dread of him as your judge. Every person will be judged by God by the same, same standards. God hates the pagan lifestyle. How much more will he hate it in a Christian? So the Christian who has really been born again should live that way. It's not your enemies he need, who need to be feared, but God who is not to be messed with or presumed upon. His judgment is ultimate. See, we don't belong to this world. At least, we don't belong to the culture of this world, the rewards of this world, and the punishments of this world. Those things aren't really important to Christians. We are sojourners. We do not have the right of citizenship in this world. We are temporary foreign aliens, foreign residents. King David put it this way when praising the Lord, he said, We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, without hope. We are like Israel, where in Egypt. Foreigners who will be led out by God 
by his mighty power. We belong to another land. As Christians, we are no longer foreigners and strangers in this land, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. That's from Ephesians chapter 2. Peter's point is that if we recognize the temporary nature of this present life, we will be better able to live in a holier way in light of our ultimate judgment and permanent state. So we're to be holy like the people of Israel were wandering through the wilderness. And lastly, and to finish, this is our concluding point, um, Peter says that they're to be like the people of the new Exodus, redeemed by the blood of of the ultimate Passover lamb, Jesus. Peter wants the Christians in Asia Minor to be in awe before God, not not just because we know that judgment is coming, but also because, not yeah, not, not just because they know that judgment is coming, but also because because they are grateful and joyful for what God has done for them. Look at verse eighteen. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So we're to remember the cost of our salvation. We have been redeemed. We have been brought back like the Israelite slaves in Egypt. God redeemed them back to himself. God said to the Israelites in Egypt, I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And in a similar way, and in a more profound way, these Gentile Christians had been living in bondage, slaves to sin. They'd been in a kind of a pagan spiritual and moral slavery to their idols. Their way of life was futile and empty. And now they've been paid for by the highest price of the blood of Christ, the true Passover lamb. And God paid this price deliberately. It was his plan chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for for your sake. God planned it that way. He made it happen in the cross of Christ. Others in the past had waited for this time And now it had happened. And the church in Asia Minor and we to this day receive the benefit from that. We too are part of God's plan. We have a privileged status. And so we march on in strength, no matter what trials we face. Let's um, pray uh, that we can do the things that Peter encourage the church in Asia Minor to do, that we can apply them to our own lives. Look, God, um, we pray that we can be a church that is ready for action with our sleeves rolled up, that we can live holy lives um, even when we're facing um, uh, disagreement from the culture around us, even when people look down on us for the choices that we make. We pray that we can pursue a kind of a holiness that is sacrificial, that takes us to the hard places. And we pray that we can do all this in response, um, in joy, because we know the high price that was paid for our salvation. Amen.